and welcome to the Beforeness podcast for Monday, the 17th of October. And joining me on this edition, our assistant editor, Steve Withers. I mean to beat you to death and drink your blood from a boot. News editor, Mark Hodgkinson. Were you really going to shoot him? An audio reviewer, Ed Selling. Well, you could say it started out as an exercise and became an addiction. Uh, right, so uh, just a, a little trailer released yesterday, Steve, and um, it's got me all warm and tingly inside. Yeah, Rogue One, the final trailer, the final poster as well, which I, I thought looked quite good, uh, and the final trailer before the film opens on the 16th the of most, December. The most beautiful I have ever seen the Star Wars universe. It looks amazing, the cinematography in this trailer. I mean, I hope it, it really carries over to the final film because those shots of the Death Star in the haze above the clouds and, I mean, just the composition along with the wide shots of just, you know, the landscapes and, oh, it just looked fantastic. Yeah. There was more imagination and artistry in the single frame of that trailer than I think there was in the whole of The Force Awakens. It, it felt like it was in the Star Wars universe, but distinctly different and it has his own character. And that's excellent. That's, you really want to see that because, you know, I, I, much as I enjoyed The Force Awakens, it was too derivative uh, and there wasn't that much imagination. It just played it too safe. This feels like they're going to, you know, because it's not part of the episode one, two, three, et cetera, um, they're going to. You know, go on a limb and, and not play it so safe and do something a bit different. And that, that really excites me. The way Vader comes storming into that room as well mm. with the, the cloak call. Uh, I just pinch me now. I can't wait. Um, uh, as soon as the tickets open, I'll be buying uh, about four or five screens of that, making real use of my unlimited card, which I have not used <laughs> yet this month. Out again. time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's going to get hammered in December, that unlimited card. <laughs> I think the good thing about Rogue One is that because we're all familiar with Star Wars, the original Star Wars and that universe and the, the period just before star wars you know the empire's in control the rebellion's just starting etc there's enough background information to go into the film without sitting there like i was in the force awakens thinking what the hell is going on who were the first order what's the rebellion where's the republic what's that planet who's that what's going on why are they you know none of that so we can just go straight into the film and enjoy it so uh yeah, yeah well and, on the 16th of december and you have got- Steve, yeah, that got... is how you live most of your life these days who's that <laughs> what's going on why are we here <laughs> yeah and and what does JJ think, you know, that you can see planets if you just look up and, and you can see planets being destroyed even though they're, they're millions of miles away? Like, what, what, what's with that? You know, he did that in The Force Awakens and he did that in Star Trek when uh, the destroyed, sorry, spoilers, when uh, the destroyed Vulcan. And, you know, he could look up and see this thing happening and, and it had no yeah, effect I mean, on the, the gravitational the... pool of all the other objects in this. That, that just didn't make any sense. Yeah, unless the, unless Maz's cantina um, planet was within the same star system as the, was it the Hossian system, which they blew up? That doesn't make any sense at all. But none no, of that made any why, sense. Why really. would they didn't even well, explain what planet they were blowing up. Yeah, <laughs> but why, why would, yeah, if it was in the same system, why did Han go there and not just go straight to where they should have been? Yeah, um... Yeah, they just didn't make any sense. I don't, I don't want to be tedious here, but are we discussing anything else this hour? Because no. I need to know if I can just open <laughs> something up and just crack on and on mute. <laughs> what, you're not taking part in this Star Wars debate, Ed? You've seen the not trailer? Not necessarily, no. You've seen the I've trailer? I've seen the trailer. What did you think? Yes, It looks pretty good. And do you know what? Come December, sometime around my birthday, I'll um I'll go and see it. It'll be great. But am I going to discuss the minutiae of one minute, 48 seconds of footage exactly the same way as I didn't discuss the minutiae of one minute, 48 seconds of footage of Force Awakens? No, no, I'm not. It's it's I'm delighted that it's going to happen. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I hope very much that it's good. And and that's great. In the meantime, I'll crack on with some other things. Can I just be a bit controversial and say that um, the acting in between the amazing 
uh, action shots look really cheesy and bad. That, to be fair, does make it a proper Star Wars. So, so, yeah. sorry, <laughs> sorry, Hodge, your line's really bad at the minute. I think I might have to drop you from this. <laughs> so, so, th- so, uh, th- so, thanks, guys, for killing the mood. Oh, come on! <laughs> I, I, all right, I cannot, I cannot sustain this level of, of, of you know. For... I mean, don't get me, I'll still be going. I yeah, mean, it was feeding back, wasn't it? I think I might have just been feeding back. I, I got, I got sufficiently shouty. That it, I, just to say, I, just, down, I can't do this week in, week out until it happens. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, it's just, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's an important film and, you know, I have very high hopes it'll be a good film, but is it the, you know, the be all and end all of my topics of conversation between now and then? No, sorry. At, at, at least in a, a galaxy far, far away, they've actually found some decent looking women. Have they found some women <laughs> other than the one that seemed to only exist in the previous universe? Um, well, I, yeah, no, I, no, I would say was... Natalie Portman's quite attractive. Uh, are, we, are we not agreed on that one? Mm-hmm. I think I she's know, stunning. It, it was it was hard to separate uh, as as with with all of the prequel. It's hard to separate uh, characters, be they you know attractive, interesting, whatever, from the truly turd-like dialogue that they sprouted for three consecutive films. So you know that's mm. that, that takes the edge off rather, doesn't it? So uh, yeah. So rebellions are built on hope, and uh, our hope is built on this trailer. Is it is it going to live up? At least we we know a little bit more about the story now, and quite an interesting twist there so it kind of starts to make sense where our character is coming from so i'm really looking forward to it now um and i guess if you don't want to know uh, a little bit more about the story don't watch the trailer i I think that's an important point to make because it does give a little bit more away doesn't it steve it does give a little bit away um about certain characters relationship to another character uh although i don't know whether that's really that big a deal i mean i've got a pretty good idea what's going to happen in the film anyway well, well there will be some twists and some unexpected events because you kind of think like oh, okay it's going to be a battle they're going to steal the plans because that's what it says at the beginning of star wars so we know that's the ultimate goal but um but hopefully there'll be some other twists and turns in there we're not expecting yeah well i mean it, it, the thing as a prequel though we don't know we know what the end result is that the plans get to leia on that on on the ship and vader then confronts us so we know that that's a start of a new hope but we don't know anything else. So even though it is a prequel, we don't know anything about these characters. We don't know where it's going. We don't know if they all die or whatever. So at least there's still still a bit of, um, you know, there's still a bit to learn there, and and it should be an original story, hopefully, and not the same, the same. Um, I don't know if you watched uh, Mr. Plinkett's uh, review of the Star Wars saga so far, uh, which just went up last week. Uh, Red Letter Media. Um, it's not office friendly, so go and watch it in the office. Uh, um, no. But he talks about this this whole things repeating and all the rest of it. And Lucas w- was always saying, you know, things repeat. It's a bit like poetry. And I'm like, well, really? Does poetry repeat? No, it just all rhymes, doesn't it? Well, um, I, I think what he actually means is a light motif that you'd use in music where you might have a theme that you repeat over and over again throughout a piece. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. but the thing is, he didn't do that. That would have made perfect sense if he'd done that with the prequels <laughs> and had uh, Anakin be about the same age as Luke. And then, um, but, and see him rise and fall, and then you see the rise of the son and, and the redemption of the father. That would have made sense, but having him as a nine-year-old at the beginning makes bugger all sense. And, um, and, a, vir- and a virgin birth. Have. And a virgin birth, that's yeah. an important thing. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, the force, and the force is actually a bacterial infection. Yes. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> I, I don't think any single point of the prequels was so magnificently equi- akin to just poking someone in the eye in the eyes with your fingers it's like yeah well sod you it's bacteria 
So yeah, yeah. This is this is a, if you like a healthy reminder why we shouldn't shouldn't get get you know yeah yeah but get, I, wind ourselves up to the blink brink of apoplexy. Yeah, but the point things. I'm the point I'm making here is that we're stepping out of that universe, we're stepping out of that timeline slightly. So hopefully there's none of that in there. You know, there's none of this. Oh, I've got a bad feeling about this, and you know other things that get repeated um, in Star Wars. Hopefully this will be a standalone war film. You know, Star Wars. Hopefully yeah. this is this, and some of it looks epic. So um, I guess. At least two of us here are excited, and Ed will go and see it anyway, and Mark will probably wait on the disc or Cody it. No, 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 no. I'll go and see it. Will you? I mean, it looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, I'm now most of the way through my cup of coffee, so my disposition is improving. But it's <laughs> <laughs> <Save> me <laughs> miserable sod. <laughs> uh, so we're going to move on then, if that's the case, and uh, let's go to hardware news. And Samsung have finally given up the ghost when it comes to uh, the Galaxy Note 7 and just pulled it completely, stopped production and all the rest of it. I guess, having issued replacements that then burst into fire after the originals did the same thing, um, <laughs> there wasn't anywhere else they could really go. It had to be damage limitation at that point, Ed, didn't it, as a, as a major corporation like that? And I guess they're already siphoning off cash into one account, probably a few billion to cover the cost of this. Essentially, you're right, yeah. The, you get the, the public is not merciless when it comes to these things. Um, and this doesn't necessarily just apply to consumer electronics. It applies to, to you know, other complicated pieces of hardware and software that we buy. If you screw up and you say, Mayor Culpa, and you say, we're going to sort this out and we're going to send some, repl- we're going to issue replacements that will not demonstrate the issue that we that has been discovered. If you crack that, and actually, you just do it in a in a fairly transparent and and an efficient way. You can get through it without too much of a problem. When you do what's happened here, and you rush it, and exactly the same problem is present. And let's be honest, it's not a small problem either. Um, there is no coming back from that. I mean, would you take an uh, in light of the fact that the the company has failed to fix a pretty serious error once? Would you have any faith taking another handset if you'd paid money for it? Well, no, even if you hadn't really. paid money for it. I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like a stereotypical tabloid reader, but, you know, it's not just me making that decision now. I mean, if it was lying around the house and, you know, my, my wife and child is here, that's, that's yeah, so it's, it's would simply be an unacceptable level of risk however infinitesimal the number of ones that have actually burst into flames well, they, they have they no, they've run out of they have run out of options they have no choice but to knock this one on the head and it's be interesting to see whether the galaxy note name full stop can be salvaged as well yeah i i mean thankfully um there were a couple burst onto flames uh, burst into flames on planes but the planes were still on the ground at the time now could you imagine that happening during flight and how scary that would be for one of them things to, and especially if it's sitting in somebody's pocket as well. So you're going to have injuries there. You're then going to have this yeah, device, I mean, device that's that's trying to blow itself up in a pressurized cabin. I mean, that's just that's just scary. The PR like was bad enough, wasn't it? But, but so yeah, that would have been even worse. Bringing down an entire aircraft would have been yeah, bringing down an airline. PR. You know, <laughs> no real coming back from that. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, the I mean, the the most maddening thing is obviously since the replacement started to fail, there's been far less communication from Samsung other than acknowledging that that, that this is untenable and it's being knocked on the head. So we still have no idea exactly what the trigger for this is. Um, And 
you know, whether that uh, it would appear obviously that nothing else from either Samsung or anyone else is habitually bursting into flames. But, you know, is this a design practice which other manufacturers are considering? Do they know, has Samsung sort of communicated via the suppliers that this is a bad idea? I mean, this is where, I mean, you know, I don't want to lead and I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but w Samsung and Apple have generally been among the more innovative of the two of the major phone manufacturers. So it's not outside the realms of possibility. Whatever was done with the Note 7 does exist in, in, in prototype or design form somewhere else in the market. And unless think, Samsung is more transparent about it, that's a problem. There's a, there's a whole question of whether we should, um, we should allow sealed batteries after, after this now, because I mean, these kind of batteries are quite volatile anyway. Uh, and, and the fact that you can't get them out, if, if the batteries were replaceable, Samsung could have just told everyone to take the battery out and we'll send you a new one rather than uh, yeah. doing that. Uh, and it also it creates problems when they come to be recycled because these batteries are glued into the cases. And apparently, um, I was doing a bit of reading last night about it, uh, and in the major recycling, there's a major recycling place in America that takes all the old phones. And they, they have a serious fire like four or five times a year. And, and they say that these... Um, sealed batteries are the absolute worst because they're, they're glued into the case and it makes it it makes it an absolute nightmare so I think safety concerns in general about about sealed batteries uh, and it seems that Samsung were copying Apple anyway um, again um, in, in having this you know these fancy looking totally sealed cases uh, I think the question will be asked whether you know they should be allowed going forwards because it could have caused something genuinely serious of course it's not just mobile phone batteries either it, it, this is a well-known thing with certain uh, laptops as well um, using the same types of battery packs it, that there is incidents where that's that has happened as well where, where suddenly laptops are burst into flames and that kind of thing because yeah. they're using you know like you say the, these batteries are volatile anyway so um is is it because we're pushing and pushing and pushing against the manufacturers saying we want battery life that's better than one day. Um, and that's that's what's pushing them to, to basically take things to, to to where we don't have any long-term testing so these things could happen. Um, it's possible, Phil, but I think in the case of the Galaxy Note 7, the problem was that they rushed development of it to beat the iPhone 7 to market. And I suspect they just didn't do enough testing. <laughs> and that's I the think There is that suggestion, for sure. I yeah. Mean. I think, I think they just cocked up. And, you know, because these are incredibly complex devices. And Ed, as Ed said, um, you know, no one expects every single product to be perfect and things do go wrong. But this is a pretty major problem. You know, when you, if your phone's bursting into flames, I mean, that's potentially lethal. It's not like it's just crashing or an app doesn't work. This is a big problem. They rushed development. They put it to market too quickly. They didn't test it properly. And they put it, um, allegedly. consumers at risk. Allegedly. Yeah, okay, allegedly. But ultimately, whatever they did, they ended up putting consumers at risk. And they did not respond to it very well. Uh, and I, I think, think there is something in what Phil says, though, because, you know, it takes more power to drive a, mm. an ultra mm. HD screen and, and all the latest bells and whistles. And there's more and more power required for these devices because they can do so much. But the battery technology hasn't really advanced so much that it can support it. So yeah, it is a case of the, the technology in the phone outstripping that of, of the batteries at the moment. So will we see lots of uh, other manufacturers starting to delay releases of their phones as um the consequence uh -huh. of this, maybe they start thinking, hang on a minute, have we got a problem too? Well, that, that would be, if nothing else, that would be encouraging because it means that if the, the information that we currently don't have is at least in circulation with people that need it. So, you know, it, it's just, it does weigh heavy. I mean, my phone will be up for replacement. You know, I, I don't have a contract, so it's up for replacement when I when I feel like it, when I can afford it. But I will get round to, to pro changing it 
probably probably early next year. Um, and I'd just like to know that the same design principles that have proved wholly unsuccessful here uh, are not replicated, you know, unwittingly in these in in in, in, in the device I end up choosing. As, so, as far as I'm yeah. aware, um, Ed, um, I haven't seen any reports of iPhone five, six, six S or sevens doing this. So, yeah, but unfortunately, I'm too wedded to droid as a phone operating system now i couldn't go back to i i have no problem with ios for for ipad and i no problem actually using osx on computers i don't really like ios on phones anymore it just limits me in in ways that i've just become you know subconsciously used to using on android so uh, you know we'll see how it goes but uh, and also it must be said the uncontracted price of the iphone 7 is just mm -hmm. a complete and utter joke so that that kind of rules itself out as well maybe that's the cost you pay for it not busting into flames mm, I maybe it's because they took, <laughs> took out the 3.5 millimeter input jack that, that may be the reason yeah that, that, that <laughs> saved the money yeah well yes as i say it will be interesting to see if the galaxy note name and sort of brand section survives this but you know uh, yeah i mean at the very least they have responded in a in a pretty definitive way they've sent sending out apparently some quite exciting packaging so you can send your um unit back no so, it, it, yeah. at least yeah at least it's one it's one model it's one design fault there is an issue it is a pretty serious issue um but at least they're doing the right thing by knocking it on the head by taking it on the chin and basically giving everybody their money back on this and i also see that they're actually offering quite a bit of money off other Galaxy Note or, or Samsung phones if people want to swap to those. The, I think they're giving up to 100 quid off some of the models. I think um, that was just America, wasn't it? $100. Was it? I don't think that's neat. Yeah. Yeah, here on here on uh, Treasure Island, you know, you should just count yourself lucky that you still have both sides of your face. <laughs> Post-Brexit Britain, we'll be going to get ripped off like <laughs> yeah, well, well, manufacturer. Well, at <laughs> least the, the biggest positive to come of Brexit so far is that, that Marmite's now not available, which is great. I like well, it's only not available in Tesco's. It's yeah. available yeah. everywhere else. Um, and it's also worth pointing out, this is all a conspiracy, people. You're not looking in the right place. The reason there's a shortage of Marmite is there hasn't been a spill of crude oil in the sea, and they scrape it <laughs> off seabirds. That's where Marmite comes from, and that just hasn't <laughs> happened. Uh, let, let me just state that that is a joke, and we are not in any way uh, saying that Unilever <laughs> make the product out of uh, crude oil. Can I just say, for breakfast this morning, I had toast with Marmite and avocado, and it was delicious. Oh, so. And avocado? Oh, oh, I know oh, it sounds... Trust me, weird. Trust me, no. Mark, try it. It's delicious. And no. when I, when I first I, I, said it, I thought, ugh, but it's really nice. It really I works. I think I would, I'll um, listen to Mark, who is a trained chef here, and that's uh, <laughs> what makes I'm really struggling to, to get that in my head around that. He's, he's, just, he's just trying to be... Guacamole, that's it. Yeah, he's, try just, it. he's just try trying it. to be really middle class here and failing miserably, Mark. <laughs> Sounds but, but I wouldn't try and compete with Ed on who's the most middle class. <laughs> Do piss off. <laughs> Uh, right, let's, let's move things uh, along, and uh, that's a Galaxy Note 7. It is no more, and uh, we'll keep an eye on the story and uh, see what happens uh, with that. I'm sure Samsung will do their best um, to try and put right what's gone wrong there, and hopefully uh, that's the last time we see phones um, breaking uh, and uh, basically uh, busting into flames because it is rather scary, and uh, like Steve pointed out, it really could be a health hazard. 
Right, let's move along. Let's talk projectors. It's getting to that time of the year where the nights are drawing in. It's getting dark around about half past six now up here. I mean, I don't know what it's like down down your way, Steve, but um, uh, normally up, yeah. up this end of the country, uh, we, we stay a little lighter, a bit longer, but uh, no, it's getting really dark, which means it's the ideal opportunity for people to go out and get projectors. And there's lots of bargains out there at the moment. As long as you don't want inky, deep black levels um, at that price point, everything else... When you look at that, the budget stuff that we've been looking at recently, that's the HD27 from Optoma and the BenQ W3000 DLP, which I've reviewed recently. The review of the HD27 will be up um, the, the week of this podcast goes out, but I don't know exactly when, so keep an eye on the homepage. But when you get to this price point, and we're talking under £1,000, so the uh, W3000 could be had for £1,000, and the HD27 is say, around about £600, £500, £600, depending on where you look online. The R1080p, you're not going to get 4K, you're not going to get HDR, uh, you're not going to get wide colour gamut. In fact, uh, a lot of DLP projectors really struggle to hit Rec. 709, which is the standard for HDTV and, and PAL TV in the past. Uh, so in the past, they've been really restricted, certainly in terms of green, cyan and, and blue. Um, so when it came to watching sports like football and so on, uh, the pitches normally looked really off hue when it came to, to green and, and so on. And that was yeah. the... That was the bad point. However, the W3000 and the HD27 use a new color wheel technology, which BenQ tell us they use a phosphor type coating on the color wheel. It's an RGB, RGB color wheel, six speed. And by using this technology, they say that they can re hit Rec 709 and they can. And uh, we've measured it and that is the case. The HD27, Optoma don't say how they do it. Well, I'll bet any money they're doing exactly the same as what BenQ are doing which is adding this coating and changing the, the RGB, RGB uh, segments to make them more accurate because that also hits Rec. 709. So finally, we're getting budget projectors here, which are reasonably bright, can be used in any type of living room. Black levels are not great, shadow details are not great, but if you're using them in a living room with white walls, white ceilings and so on, um, you're raising the black floor as it is within the room. So the, the fact that they don't go very black um, doesn't really matter in that type of environment. Uh, where they do score now is with really accurate colours, um, like I say, bright images, great motion on a DLP projector. It's one of the things that they do really well is, is motion. Uh, 24 uh, frames per second playback is absolutely bang on and uh, no induced blur or anything like that. And I've got to say, the money, there's not a lot of bad points. And the other big plus point is uh, they no longer come built in with the emitters, but um, the, the glasses that they come with come with emitters that you plug into the projectors and uh, you can watch 3D if you're still into 3D and I have to say 3D performance um, I've got an X7000 here which is a JVC DLA projector which does pretty decent 3D um, can't match these DLP projectors in terms of motion in terms of lack of crosstalk mm. uh, in terms of image depth I mean you really are getting um, a lot for your money these days when it comes to projectors and I know I've seen a lot of them recently Steve because obviously you're looking at TVs I'm looking at projectors but certainly you, you have experience of these things and at the price point they really are absolutely cracking bits of kit. Yeah I mean we've said this on numerous podcasts but when people talk about you know how, much, how to get the most bang for my buck uh, and they rarely think of um, projectors they usually think of bigger screen TVs and TV screens obviously are getting bigger each year but you know it, the large screen size televisions do cost a lot of money but for less than a thousand pounds you can get a very big image that is as you just pointed out getting more and more accurate in terms of uh, color accuracy um, yes the blacks aren't perfect but given the environment they'll probably be used in that's not an issue and uh, yeah you, you get a really impressive picture and uh, we said it before but people don't often think of projectors probably because their experience of them has usually been 
uh, either in a boardroom, a classroom, or a pub. But when you do see a well-set-up home cinema projector, um, it can be incredibly impressive in terms of image quality. Yeah. And so if you're thinking about, you're thinking, I want a really big screen in my in my lounge, then think about a projector because you'll get the most bang for your buck doing that. Yeah, it, I have to point out it is a completely different image to a TV. So um, the projected image is different because what you're doing is you're bouncing light off another surface back to your eyes. So um, it's not as bright, it's not as uniform as a TV would be. And certainly when it comes to um, the brightness levels from a TV, you can't match that with a projector. But what you get is the projected image. And there's just something about the projected image, mm. even at this price point, where if you're watching film content at 24 frames a second um, and it's got a decent image quality, and these things are, are very, very decent. I mean, what you can get for 600 quid nowadays is really, really impressive. There are little side effects. Um, there always are, and there are, there's always downfalls with these things um, because there is no such thing as a perfect display or a perfect TV. But if you take the little foibles out, out of the way and just look at the image, you're getting a really quite a cinematic image at that price point. Um, because it's a projected image, because it's it's just something about it that, that just gives it that filmic feel. So yeah, if you got if you want to look for a big screen um, and don't have the budget to go and buy seventy five inches and can't even get through the door, because I certainly couldn't get through my door. <laughs> <laughs> That's more likely the issue. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to get these things through the door. You got to get them on the wall, so your wall is going to be pretty. If you're going to wall mount it, yeah, it's it's a different way of doing it. The other the other good thing about these little projectors, okay, they're they're not reference projectors you're not going to get reference performance out of it and if, if that's what you're looking for then you need to spend a little bit more money and you're looking at a sony hw 45 as a bare minimum I, I would suggest if you're looking for a proper cinematic projector for a home cinema but these little machines they've got great input lag yeah you're talking around about 38 milliseconds which is not bad at all they're very very portable and they are built like a tank so they are built to be moved around and, and shoved in a cupboard when not in use or, you know, take it around to your mate's house for, for big screen gaming, whatever. That's what they're, des they're designed to do. And the other thing that they're designed to do is is basically a home, what, what you would call a home entertainment projector. So cover lots of different bases. So big screen sport, watching a football, uh, 3D movies, watching a movie, playing games. Uh, they're designed to cover all these areas and you know we've tested them and tested them and tested them and really can't really find any faults with them for for the money just don't expect a reference image if you're looking for something like that then you're gonna have to spend money but you, you know you pay your money you get what you get and at this price point i don't think you can get better than the, the benq w3000 or the optoma and if they're still out of your price range there's plenty of other options out there as well and uh, just have a look at the the recent reviews we've covered a lot of budget mm. um projectors from for that kind of money and that are portable and so on but yeah if you're looking for a cinematic image then like tvs if you want the best technology you have to pay a bit more so another thing that i saw this week recording a podcast on a friday obviously steve was i finally got to catch up with the jvc dla z1 4k laser projector impressive name impressive price impressive price you saw it at IFA this was my first opportunity to see it they had a it was basically for the UK distributor and uh, custom installers at Mercedes World down in Weybridge uh, but there's a few journalists invited along to have a look at it that didn't get to see it at IFA it was on a 240 inch screen so when you saw it at IFA it was what 120 inch yeah it was about 120 inches um, in, a, in a dedicated blacked out little room Right, so um, so this was a cinema built, which which is on the top floor of Mercedes World. It normally runs a standard definition um, cinema projector. 
yeah, for, for running. I, th- I think it shows the production line or something like that or where they build the F1 car or, or how it's developed or th- something like that anyway. So we used, they were using the 240-inch screen in there with, uh, with the DLA Z1. I think we got exactly the same demonstration footage. It was two films basically put together by JVC Kenwood, um, filmed by the by them the usual thing beaches um forests um mm. skylines you know the, the where the camera's pretty static and doesn't move and you get to see the resolution and uh, one of them is obviously hdr so you get to see the dynamic range of the projector and then we saw a clip from deadpool on uhd blu-ray and i have to say very very impressive on a 240 inch screen it, it was just as bright as probably the, an X7000 or an X9000 on a 100-inch screen. So, you know, if you want to go big screen, you can certainly go big screen with this projector. Colours were really good. HDR, mm. Um, mm. It, you know, when it comes to projectors, and I've got a 7000 here, you've got a, a JVC 5000. Um, we've been experimenting with HDR stuff. You can get it looking decent, but it just doesn't have that same dynamic range that you're going to get from a TV. And as we just explained, you know, a projected image is completely different to, to a TV image. TV can, can hit a thousand lumen, a, a thousand nits or more. You really are struggling when it comes to projected image because this projector could hit 3,000 lumens and still it didn't have that that pop. I, I, I would suggest it, it was getting maybe 300 nits maximum. And that's just by looking at it. That, that certainly wasn't by measurement. But it doesn't have that dynamic pop that you get from HDR material and and we're still talking about laser so this is the future and it's a 30,000 pound projection yeah. it was still struggling and the main thing for me and it was picked up and I asked the question in the video as well if you haven't seen the video the video is on the on the homepage in the media box um, or you can go to the first look article and the video is in there or just go to our YouTube channel and it's on there um, was the black levels and certainly with HDR material there's a there's a definite shift in the black floor yeah. Where, where it's not as inky deep as, as, as you would expect from a JVC. There is a lift in the blacks. To get the, the highlights up to a level to make them stand out uh, without clipping. And it just seems to be, and this is for all projectors, not just this projector, I think, it's going to be very, very difficult to get HDR to work on a projected image. Yeah, I mean, if you put it in context, even the Dolby Vision demo that I had, and that was using two professional laser projectors, custom built by Dolby. On a very big screen, obviously, and this is designed for, for theatrical presentation, but two custom-built um, laser projectors, and they were only delivering, I think it was 150 nits of peak brightness. Um, obviously, they had a better black floor, so they were trying to keep the black floor down, uh, but still get some brightness in there without losing that. But, uh, you know, I don't think you can ever expect, well, I know you can never expect a projected image to have the same kind of peak highlights you're going to get from a television because it just isn't physically possible. But what, what's slightly concerning is in order to get a, a sort of a, a watchable HDR image on a projector, you do have to raise the black floor, and that's kind of robbing the JVC of its major um, advantage, isn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, even talking to the engineer and, and, and the product manager there, and you can go for accurate, which is obviously what Dolby does, and, and they're struggling to hit, like you say, 100, 100-odd uh, nits peak or you can do what jvc were doing in this demo which was raising the black floor and and therefore raising the the, the highlights a little bit more but it, it just didn't look like a jvc image to me when they did it that way i think i would be more inclined to go for accuracy and and keep the black levels and and i guess this is the the same point guys when it comes to OLED against LED LCD, we're kind of hitting the same thing. Obviously, a lot brighter, but OLED has has the same black floor 
I would say is the, is the JVC. So you, you've got the same issue here where, you know, really good black levels, but really struggling to hit the peak peak brightness. Whereas mm. LED LCD raised blacks, you're not getting the type of shadow detail and, and just above black detail that you're getting from the OLEDs, but you're getting more of the of the peak highlights and more of the detail in the peak highlights. Yeah, well, I think what I'd like to see uh, as a projector owner would be um, an Ultra HD Blu-ray player that gave you the option of outputting uh, full HDR, you know, 4K, um, Rec 2020, 10-bit, or SDR, 4K, Rec 2020, 10-bit. That way you, you you get, you know, the majority of the benefits of the disc without necessarily having to lose the black floor um, in order to get some sort of, you know, watchable HDR image. That would be quite a nice treat. And th they did mention the possibility of that on the uh, Oppo Blu-ray player. So if that is the case, then that would be a big selling point for it to um, projector owners particularly. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's going to be um, a work in progress for some time, I think. And and like I said, I mean, both of us have got JVC projectors. We've been struggling to get a decent looking HDR images out of them. And I, I, I think the answer at the minute is what what you're suggesting, Steve, which is um, drop the HDR and just give us the 4K wide color gamut, 10 bit video for the time being. And mm. uh, until laser gets to the point where it is going to produce. Um, really compelling HDR images, and so far on this 30 grand projector, it was absolutely brilliant when it came to um, filling a big screen like that with plenty of brightness. The you know the resolutions there, the lens is absolutely gorgeous on this thing. I mean that's where the money goes. The money has gone into the mm -hmm. glass um, on this projector because it is sharp all the way across the image, uh, corner to corner, edge to edge. It's ultra sharp, um, and and that's where you pay your money in the glass for that. Um, and again, the colours looked really nice and all the rest of it. It was just the fact that HDR, no, I'm sorry, it's just, it just doesn't have that impact on on a projector. And like you say, I mean, even Dolby can't get Dolby Vision looking as good as they can on a TV in a projected uh, theatrical environment. Yeah. So anyway, that's a first look at the DLA Z1 projector. I've um, got to say, really impressive. Another important yeah. thing just to mention before we wrap up on the projectors, if you are waiting on a replacement for the X5000, X7000 and X9000 JVC models this year, uh, you're going to be waiting a long time. Uh, they're being carried over. They do not see any point in updating the projectors at this moment in time because um, they have everything on it that's available at the minute and they're really good performance. So it looks like those are mm. going to go to a two-year product cycle um, rather than the yearly product cycle. And I guess we can see because they won't do native... 4k they can't do native 4k so there's not really anywhere they can go and i've seen some comments as well saying oh well you know optoma is going to beat them to the punch well actually that that's not a native 4k um dlp uh chip that's going in the optoma so if you want uh, native 4k at this moment in time uh, it is the sony's but again um they are just being updated for hdr and we uh we had a quick look at that it, IFA as well, Steve, and I'm guessing that the HDR is just the same as every other HDR projector at the moment. Yeah, it was very poor, actually. I have to say, I, I think it was, I think of the demos that I saw at IFA, the Z1 was um, superior in that respect, definitely. I mean, whilst not ideal, it certainly was better. Um, and I thought the, uh, so the, the VW550, uh, I thought was a bit disappointing. Okay, um, so that's Projector World. Um, Another thing that Ed keeps telling us about is how big and small things are getting at the moment, especially when it comes to speakers. You've had some pretty uh, ginormous speakers in recently, Ed. Yes, yes, there's been some big ones, but then um, you know I'm not just focusing on the, on on the large scale. Uh, back to back, uh, 
both the one of the largest, uh, uh, sorry, the largest pair of floor standards I've ever tested for AV forums uh, went through, which is up on the site as we speak in the form of the Sonus Faber Venere S. But then um, because we don't all have the room for a speaker quite as um, sizable as that, uh, I also tested what is by a, a, an enormous margin the smallest floor stander I've ever tested for anybody, which is the Neat Iota Alpha, uh, which is about 40 centimetres tall. <laughs> um, is, is, that uh, the, is that the one where the driver points up at a 45 degree angle? It's slightly slightly less than 45 degrees, but right. yes, it, it, it points up diagonally uh, because other, if, it, if it fired directly forwards, it just simply wouldn't be going anywhere near your <laughs> ear in the seated <laughs> listening position. Right, so it's, it's um, one for if you were lying on the floor then, basically. <laughs> Everything you see in the photos about the neats just says these can't possibly work. I, I make that there's no there's no disputing this. That you you just have to um, sit down. And I do recommend sitting down uh, to listen to them, and it, they're just extraordinarily good. Uh, they, they, it, you would it sound it looks more like they have to spend as much time overcoming the intrinsic nature of their own design. But no, honestly, they are quite an extraordinary loudspeaker. You wouldn't just choose them because you uh, need a very very small speaker if you are looking for a speaker at about 1300 pounds you should consider them anyway even if you do have the space for something larger i don't know exactly when the review's going up but it's one of the ones where as i, I pointed out in the listening section after a while your brain just sort of goes oh all right then you win and you just forget the fact that actually from my listening position it's almost impossible to see one of them and just accept the fact that it works just incredible um so yeah we've 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 done we've done uh, large and small floor standards uh and as uh, say uh, more normal services being resumed in terms of speaker reviews uh as uh, actually i've just finished up and will be writing presently uh the uh latest offering from uh stalwart british brand wharfdale so uh, we're not just i'm not just probing the, uh, the the weirder dimensions of loudspeakers i am going to try and find you some some more sort of normal ones as well good stuff i guess that kind of wraps up uh, the hardware for this week so those reviews about those products the, the w3000 is up there at the moment the z1 we're hoping to review that in january i think hopefully we got one other to talk about that's a 7601 um steve's going to give us five sentences to make you go and read this review it's a, a well-built high-performing TV that has a full-array backlight, 65-inch screen, and local dimming. It, it supports HDR, has Android TV built in, and overall, it was a cracking performer. It has one drawback, unfortunately, which was its out-of-the-box ac accuracy was uh, poor. There was way too much blue in the grayscale, although it's easy to fix that using the two-point white balance control. But uh, otherwise, I, I thought it was a really good performing TV from Philips, and uh, it's been a long time coming. This is a TV we saw in, in demonstration form, Phil, at least two years ago. And was supposed to come out last year and has finally been released. And you can get it for 2,000 quid, which is not bad for a 65-inch full-array local dimming HDR 4K TV. Now, you see, Steve, you could you could get a review done in 1 minute 30 seconds every week. <laughs> we stuck to things like that. Um, anyway, we're running out of time. So uh, that review will also be up on the site uh, this week as the podcast goes out. And the needs that um, Ed were talking about, the review will be up for those as well. So um, lots of things for you to look forward to this week. Uh, we're going to move on to movie news next.
Uh, right, so a film's opening this Friday, Steve. We've got Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, which um, clearly hasn't been listened to because they have gone back to make another Jack Reacher film. I quite enjoyed the original Jack Reacher film, even though I know uh, yeah, Tom so Cruise is miscast in the role. Mm. Obviously too short for the part of Jack Reacher, who's meant to be a really big bloke. I thought he actually delivered it quite well. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to this. The other films opening this Friday are Ouija, Origin of Evil. You mean uh, Ouija? Horror... Is it no Ouija? Ouija? Ouija board. Ouija board. Ouija? Ouija. We say Ouija. <laughs> is it Ouija? I thought Ouija was that photographer. Well, yes, I thought yes. Ouija was a Glaswegian. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> that is the case as well, yeah. But um, no, it, it's Ouija, isn't it? Oh, Ouija, Ouija would it. make more sense. But well, there's no E at the end. No, Ouija yeah. is how it's... Anyway, it's a made-up word, isn't it? Because it's a game. It was actually invented as a game. It's not a real thing. It's not a lot of cobblers. Anyway, that's opening on Friday. Obviously, time with the approaching um, Halloween. <laughs> of course, it's made up, Steve. You kind of talk to the dead. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, it's not even like it's some sort of... I don't know, Phil. Have you, ever been to, have you ever been to Eastbourne? <laughs> God's waiting room. Uh, I don't know. The, the actual alive status of many of those residents is entirely debatable. <laughs> Anyway, I, I, I say it's Ouija. Um, if you agree with me, dear listeners, put it in the uh, podcast forum underneath this podcast. Or if you agree with Steve, don't bother. Oh, it's made up of the we and ya, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. We are. We are. We are. We are. We are, Paul. <laughs> that would be the correct pronunciation, surely. <laughs> anyway, bollocks. It's, it's a horror film opening on Friday. <laughs> uh, and also, Keeping Up with the Joneses, which um, actually looks like it might be quite good fun. It's... Um, Got uh, John Hamm and uh, Gal Gadot, who's currently playing Wonder Woman, and his foot is a butcher's dog. And they're basically a, a couple moving next door to another couple um, played by Zach Galaf. I can't pronounce his surname, Galafanias or whatever it is, um, and um, Ilsa Fisher. And they they become convinced that they're up to no good, and they turn out to be a pair of spies. Ilsa Fisher is Ilsa or Isla? Isla. Isla. Actually, I think you're right. Is Isla Fisher? I thought so. But what's Zach's surname? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Ed, Ed will be able to do that. He's middle class. What, how do you pronounce that one, Ed? I was. I, I've been. I've having to be on mute because there's enormous amounts of drilling going on next door, and I don't want to what, add yet more. What, what's his name, Steve? Steve? Already. Zach. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's Ouija. It's, it's Ouija Jones. <laughs> Gali. Galifianakis. Galifianakis. Yeah, I think that's it. Zach. Yeah. See, we've woken. We've woken Ed up there. It's an action comedy. <laughs> right, so that's Jack Reacher, Never Go Back to a Ouija Board, Origin of Evil, and Keeping Up with the Joneses with Isla Isla and Isla Fisher. <laughs> Fisher. <laughs> and Zach, what's his face? <laughs> Smooth. Anyway, Steve, um, <laughs> moving on from that disaster, uh, <laughs> uh, Blu ray releases this week. <laughs> yeah, Blu ray wise, we've got Angry Birds coming out on Blu ray and Ultra HD Blu ray. The Conjuring 2, uh, obviously another horror film um, that's tying in with the approach of Halloween. Uh, actually, I saw The Conjuring and quite enjoyed that. So this is based upon, it's meant to be based upon a true story, but clearly it isn't. Um, and a famous case, in, actually, in Enfield, uh, um, where a couple of kids were claiming to be you know, possessed by poltergeists, but clearly they were putting it on, and some really gullible people believe them. Um, but that's come out. I mean, I'm sure it's quite an entertaining film as a horror film, but you know, it's not based on reality, obviously. Tales of Halloween, uh, which is um, a portmanteau um, thing with various short films from some interesting directors that looks quite cool. Cell, which is a, um, it looks like a rope action film with Samuel Jackson and um, uh, John Cusack, both of whom should frankly know better. That, that would that'd take... be, that'd be a great 
uh, movie name for for the Samsung story, wouldn't it? The, the Note Seven story, Cell. <laughs> Exploding phones. There's the Take, which was originally called Bastille Day, uh, and for very obvious reasons, has changed its name since it came out of the cinema. Um, that's the one with uh, Idris Elba, um, where they're running around Paris uh, trying to find a terrorist. Yeah, I mean it. it hmm. I'm surprised that's even getting released at the minute because uh, what what's all gone on in France re- in the re- very recent past. I'm surprised that they're even releasing that. To be honest, Steve, it has been delayed significantly from when it was supposed to come out, um, and obviously they've given it a completely generic, as far as I can work out, meaningless name. Um, but yeah, it does seem to be in slightly poor taste given recent events. And also, uh, Preacher season one, which I have not seen, uh, is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's co-written and created by based on a comic book, but it's co-written by um uh, seth rogan uh, who i really like so i'm actually and it stars dominic cooper who i also really like so i'm actually quite curious about this and i've heard good things about it so it's something i'm quite keen to watch at some point although there's just too much tv right now so i have to go on the back burner for a bit i think yeah there's far too much tv um i've actually uh gonna sit down tonight and watch westworld the two episodes that i managed to get no tv so i'm gonna do that and still games back what more can you say well not a lot really When's, when's it on? Friday night, isn't it, Phil? Uh, Friday ninth. It's the first time it's been available UK wide because it's uh, it's only ever been available on BBC Scotland or YouTube. So does it have subtitles? <laughs> Steve, you've been around me for how many years? Any yeah, yeah, it should be quite good at it by now. <laughs> Uh, right, so um, before we move on to uh, taking money from very gullible people, um, we're going to go to uh, uh, this new thing that's been invented to take money from even more gullible people, Steve. I think the vinyl craze has gone too far now because apparently Zavi and Disney are releasing Blu-rays, normal Blu-rays, but in 12-inch sleeves. So, you know, big record-style sleeves, um, which just seems... I mean, I don't know. It's either incredibly cool or just plain silly, and I can't decide which. No, can I I decide for you? It's monumentally (laughs) stupid. Um, You know... Uh, don't get me wrong. Actually, uh, there are, in terms of space efficiency, the twelve-inch sleeve. Uh, you know, if you've got the uh, good old IKEA Kallax, you can get an enormous amount of vinyl into the space that would normally be occupied by a rather smaller number of DVDs or Blu-rays. But it's just no, it's totally nonsensical because. Let's face it; it's not like anyone else has suddenly decided to start offering that their films in in equally stupid packaging so it's going to they're going to require completely different points of storage to all the rest of your films and it's a complete and monumental waste of time the only thing i can assume that disney is thinking people do and i'm sure that some people do is that the discs will come out and go into a big wallet and you can then use those display frames to actually put the film thing in right but that's it is this because they've milked everybody on the steel books that they have to bring out something else to do it? I mean, don't get me wrong. One of the highlights are um, collecting laser discs with a gatefold sleeve uh, artwork and, and and notes and all the rest. The same as vinyl, but I, I'm not getting this one. No, no. I, I mean, it does make it does make me feel nostalgic for not for laser disc, but um, ultimately. Well, first of all, I've moved beyond Blu-ray anyway, so that's an old technology to me. I did say that 4K Blu-ray needed to be Laserdisc-sized, not for any (laughs) specification reason, but to reintroduce gigantic tank-like players, the sense of occasion. Because let's face it, 
it, in convenience terms, there's no size of physical format that's going to be more convenient than the streaming option. So they should have completely reversed course and built built it as a 12-inch monster disc. Yeah, and, and, and something with real ceremony to it. Yeah, and none of this auto-flip technology that you have to get up after 30 minutes, go across, uh, open it up, turn the disc over to the other side and put it back in and go back and sit I down think again. they might well have done well to skip that particular bit Phil, no 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 that, yeah. that's what made laser disc laser disc wasn't it steve especially if you got a, a, a carved disc which yeah, was yeah, even less CAV, where it was 20 minutes on each side 15 <laughs> minutes wasn't it on each side <laughs> i think was it the star wars box set that was the three original star wars films it was, it was nine CAV. it was nine discs per film wasn't nine it? discs nine <laughs> discs two sides per each disc so that was an awful lot of getting up to change stuff over. it did always used to amuse me that people were then complaining about layer change on dvd it's like <laughs> yeah. you guys haven't lived <laughs> you really haven't but um, no, as I say, I, it, I think it's a, it's a just, it's cynical and it's opportunistic, and it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, very little. I mean, I, I'm, I'm slowly metamorphosizing into a grumpy old person. I'm, so yeah, I'm, bloody hell. I'm trying to remember Don't why why we had carved discs. Can you remember, Steve? Was it was it for slow motion? Was it that the only way yeah, you could do you still could, frame? You could freeze frame yeah. and everything like that on it properly. So, so I mean, just... on later players, they did it artificially with CLV, where they would they could take a digital image, you know, of the film yeah. of the frame and, and stop it, but. For CAV, you could actually do frame by frame on yeah, there. Yeah, that's 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 what accurate. I thought it was. And just for that capability, you had to <laughs> you had to put up a twenty minutes aside. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like the Toy Story box set as well. I loved that box set, but again, that that was nine discs or more just mm -hmm. for the film. Some of those Disney box sets were pure works of art. They really were. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, which look. Well, at in this... other words, it's the people that did all of those have just obviously taken control of the <laughs> asylum again. It's like, well, we only have one good idea, and we're just gonna gonna throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. Yeah, but you see, the thing <laughs> it, the thing is, Ed, though, if you look at that link, and we'll put the link in the in the podcast thread, um, none of that artwork is particularly nice. Um, oh no, 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 that doesn't surprise me at all. It's, um, I mean, by the same token, it must be said, um. We are, because there is this subset of people buying records and not listening to them, there are some truly fantastic sleeves doing the rounds at the moment. I bought the repressing of the first sort of major Arcade Fire album the other day, Funeral, which had that, the, 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 the image is, is of a wooden panel. And the texture they've achieved of the feel of the wood on the actual sleeve is absolutely outstanding it's a lovely it's just a wonderful thing to interact with and i dare say that once once the boom fine you know properly collapses in on itself this sort of thing will fall by the wayside again so it's in it's nice to enjoy it while it is but that's still for me secondary to the contents it's just a nice additional thing rather than the reason why i bought it in the first place and this film business this just strikes me as that with with knobs on um, talking about you know laser discs and vinyl and the artwork and all the rest of it, I, I guess that brings us neatly onto old-fashioned movie posters. Because I don't think, I don't think the movie poster exists anymore, does it really? You know, even if even going to multiplexes and stuff like that, it all seems to be these cardboard cutouts things that promote movies now. And the old movie poster, as as we knew it as kids, Steve, you know, going back far enough back into the seventies and eighties where you got the proper double-sided posters that you know if you were friendly with a manager down at the local cinema you, you could get the ones that you wanted and some of them are worth an absolute fortune these days that doesn't seem to be 
a great deal of love anymore for the movie poster. No, no, the, the art of the movie poster is sadly, um, sadly gone now. I mean, most movie posters these days are photoshopped images of the people in the film. And some of them are, are shockingly bad and totally lacking in any imagination whatsoever. And I did really like, one of the reasons I really liked the, the Force Awakens poster was because it was a bit of a throwback to those older style posters with artwork in there. And again, with Rogue One, is a, is a bit more of a throwback kind of poster that was released yesterday along with the new trailer. Um, and I like that because, you know, they, they do remind me of the old... I mean, I've actually got, I'm looking at it right now, a framed original poster for Star Wars from 1978, so um, I... taken from outside of cinema. <laughs> but you, you know, I mean, you're right, Phil. I mean, that, that that's a bit of a lost art now. And then, but there were people like Drew Stanzen, wasn't it? Stur Drew Sturzen, um, who was one of the most famous of the movie art and poster artists, did a lot of the well-known, did some really nice ones for the uh, prequel trilogy. I mean, whatever you want to say about the films, they had some cracking posters for those films. Uh, but, uh, and and I, do, I, do miss, uh, I do miss that kind of artistry that used to go into poster design. And now it's just become, I guess like movies themselves, it's all become very generic and very mass produced and there's, there's no there's very little artistry or imagination left in them well and, a lot, um, a lot of these a, shame. a lot of these film posters for films certainly when i was growing up and um, like say 70s and 80s even the early 90s they became icons themselves i mean you could take all the lettering and all the titling away and and the image was iconic enough that you knew you knew exactly what the film was so some examples, Jaws. You, you all know what that one is. The woman swimming on the water and the shark coming up together. I mean, that is, that is yeah. just an iconic image. You would know that in any form, any interpretation of that. You would get what the film was. Um, Pulp Fiction, Uma Thurman on the bed reading the, the comic. Take away all, um, all the titling and all the rest. It's the same thing. Blade Runner, you know, that iconic image of Harrison Ford there with a gun with the, uh, the view of the city at the bottom you would still know what that film was. Iconic images to look at. And then all the Star Wars ones, I mean, and all the the variations of that, so all the Japanese variations and so on, you would still get what the films were about. I can't think of any modern film where the symbolism or iconic character or whatever um, in a poster design that, that stands out. I can't think of anything in the last 10 years like that. Um, no. I don't know. The only time it ever sort of happens is teasery things but very few films generate the, the sort of you know that you know their advertising is being condensed into sort of uh, a much shorter sort of all senses assault on the general public rather than you know feeding information out over over a, a much longer period of time uh, are we does 10 years just about cover cloverfield because there was a cracking poster for that yeah, yeah it may it may have been a good poster but but was it one that left on the consciousness of the viewing public is it something that you could take the, the word off now ed and show me and i'd get it yeah because it was the one with the statue of liberty with no head see i don't think i would get that uh hold on let me dig it out on the um i did like myself. the um uh you mentioned the film earlier because it was one of the things they used to demo the said one but the, the deadpool marketing campaign was very clever in its use of posters because they were humorous and entertaining and they kind of sold the idea of an irreverent character who didn't give a damn and, and yeah. gave you an idea of what to expect in the film. So that was quite interesting. I'll tell you what I love. I love post old school movie posters that completely oversold the film to a level that it wasn't capable of delivering. <laughs> Which was some of the great posters, but you know, you thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. And you saw the film and thought, well, hang on, where's all this stuff? I mean, Star Wars, for example, do you remember the original poster of Star Wars, the one that was used in the States? I don't think it was used in this country. Which is the one where Luke's standing on, you know, he's got his bare chest, his big muscular yeah, yeah, chest. Yeah, it, it looks, it looks, yeah, it looks like um, uh, that did come out in this country it was a landscape design 
So, and so he's yeah, got thousands yeah. of X-wings in the background, and his um, Princess Leia looks really attractive. And you're thinking this looks amazing, and then it doesn't really deliver any of that. <laughs> it's obviously <laughs> drawn by somebody who had not seen the film, <laughs> whereas the main UK poster is clearly, you know, based upon yeah. actual images I mean, from the movie. We, we're, we're talking about these things. Obviously, I'm not married, so I, I get away with this. So I've got all these posters framed, all, all these really famous posters. So like yeah, Pulp Fiction, Star Wars, Blade Runner. Um, you know, I've got all of them on the walls in the living room and through the hallway and that kind of thing. Um, well, I've got the, the Apocalypse Now one. And the only That's a good one. And the end, the, the the most recent one, if I'm looking at them all, is Trainspotting. Because because I think that was the last kind of sort of really I, iconic design because that was everywhere. And it didn't. And a lot of the advertising campaign didn't even have the name of the film. It had the name of the character. So you had Renton and you had. Um, uh, sick boy and, and all that kind of thing on the side of telephone boxes and, and so on and it was all the same design I think that was the last time I can think of where the poster was used to that effect mm. yeah yeah. but do you have you presumably you've seen the poster I was referring to now and the, did, I, I thought that was quite iconic I thought that was quite cool so yeah you know, I, the, the problem with that one Ed is that you know New York has been destroyed so many times on film <laughs> <laughs> and, and certainly round about that time period as well because you had um, Armageddon and you had Independence oh, no, Day no Armageddon and, was an out in Independence Day 10 years previous were they really as long as that yeah was it really oh, Armageddon is what 98 yeah that's right it was 98 wasn't it sorry I thought mm. it was the 2000s it wasn't it was, it was later than that yeah. earlier than that sorry I just, I, as I say, it was one of the last times I remember thinking, ooh, I wonder what that is. I mean, in terms of what Steve was saying about people who wrote, do, did films without, uh, did the posters without watching the film, the classic example for that for me was Reign of Fire. Do you remember the poster for that? It had <laughs> yeah, like a brilliant a, poster. A, a brilliant poster with like a helicopter gunship battle between them and dragons, which at no stage Over in London. any way, shape or form took place in the yeah. film. So, oh, it was instead, you know, Christian Bale at his bleakest. Yeah, I, I do. I do. Um, I used to have quite a few movie posters around my flat when I was living in London years and years ago. So the ones I had, uh, you've mentioned some already, Phil, but like Blade Runner, I had, I had Blade Runner. I did really like the poster for Once Upon a Time in America with the, the kids walking in the street and the bridge in the background. And by a similar theme, I also had a copy of Manhattan uh, with the couple on the Woody Allen and I think Diane Keaton on, on a bench. And, and again, the, um, the bridge in the, the Brooklyn Bridge in the background. So we like I had a framed copy of the man who fell to earth, but then someone pointed out to me that the lettering was the same lettering that Iron Maiden used on their album covers, uh, which kind of put me off it slightly. Uh, well, I used to like that poster, and uh, Clockwork Orange is quite a good um, poster in terms of you know selling the concept of the film in, in, a, in a in a graphical way. Uh, Hodge is the only one that hasn't said anything here. Hodge. Uh, I saw the subject and I thought, no, I'm not, inter- <laughs> I'm not interested in this. But then I actually, for my digital collection, I, I do I go to quite great lengths to um, download nice poster art and um, and landscapes for, for the user interface and Kodi. Uh, and the ones I've written down, you, you mentioned two at least, I think. Um, Apocalypse Now is pos- possibly my favourite. Uh, and I've Clockwork Orange, I really like that. Uh, and Scarface and Star Wars were the ones I wrote down. Um, Star Wars, as you say, completely overselling things, uh, and I just love the uh, black and white of Scarface. But I think my favourite is probably Apocalypse Now. That's a great poster. I do also, I have to say, I love the Hunt for Red October film poster. Um, that's I just just really really like it. You know, it's not a representation that the film is great. The film is very watchable, but I just thought the poster was a cracker. Yeah, so. that's that's the one about the uh, Scottish um, the Scottish submarine, isn't it? Yes. 
Scotsman <laughs> randomly in charge of a Russian submarine. No, Phil, that's a Lithuanian accent. Didn't you know? Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. like the post of Close Encounters with that road and the light in the oh, distance. Well, you see, that's that's, yeah. an, that's another iconic image, isn't it? And it's it's something yeah. that st- really sticks in your mind is is that light behind the behind the road. ET was also a really good one. Thinking about it, yeah, I described the film very well. But once again, they're all part of the. Um, golden age aren't they you know, yeah, they're, yeah, not, they're yeah. not no no one recently i'm I just i've been actually you, you know undoubtedly you've heard me t- uh um typing away i've just been looking at films i've enjoyed that i thought had good imagery and looking at the posters um the uh you know i was looking at super eight there's nothing really great there one actually that was actually quite good and i'll ping this up for you um uh was the into darkness teaser poster because that actually, I'd forgotten about it, so it wasn't that memorable, but it was quite good. I thought that was quite a clever use of imagery and yeah. And all so the rest you, so of you've it. got this, yeah, because you've got the Star Trek badge there with the uh, Starfleet yeah. logo, and yeah, yeah. No, that is quite clever that one. Let's see, but can't say I've ever seen. that. But it doesn't before. stick in the mind, does it? <laughs> no. So no. I I don't know. Um, it depends. Obviously, Phil, you're the only place where film posters. I still encountered them, and you still got teaser ones and all the rest of it. Is the, is the underground, or the side of a bus? Well, I don't look at buses; they're for the poor people. Well, the, the bus, buses go <laughs> past me every fifteen minutes. What was that? I'm being facetious, but no. All over the <laughs> oh, the underground has got obviously multiple poster spot sections. So there were lots. And there's lots. There's still quite a significant use of film posters there. Yeah, yeah. But but I'm it's, struggling to think it, of anywhere else. Where it's, they it's not. Up. It's not the classic one sheet, though, is it? That's that's the thing. You know, you used yeah, to have. Yeah, it is in some of them. So, uh, yeah, you're right. A number of escalator runs in the, these days are on cycle screen image things, but most of the corridor and walkways across London Underground are still fixed single poster. So, but no, you're right. I, I just, uh, as the requirement for them has diminished, it's unquestionably the case that I think the quality of them has diminished as well. I saw one um, recently, uh, and it wasn't a one sheet or anything like that, but it was just the artwork and the way it was done, and that was um, Stranger Things. And the way that that artwork's done kind of harks back to, like you were saying, Steve, the old Star Wars posters, the old Indiana Jones type poster, and that kind of thing. Where it, it's done his artwork, it was actually a, a, a painting. You know, it's proper artwork. Mm, yeah. Well, well done, Netflix, for doing that because that looks that looks really, really stunning when you see it. Really good. Again, it's not Netflix a poster. Do though. good art generally mm. for their own series. Generally, good. Yeah, no, mm. I thought that was really good, really good. Anyway, I think we've come to the end of the podcast for this week, so my thanks go to Steve Withers. I chewed these fingers off before the frostbite could turn to gangrene. Mark Hodgkinson. I'll hitch a ride. Ed Selly. Because the Office of District Attorney never bought you a pony. And who's going to design the poster for this podcast? <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I'll get I'll get my son on it. He's three. I dare say it will just about match the actual content of the thing itself. So. <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah, get the cranes out. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news and videos. And of course, give us those five-star ratings on iTunes, but only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs>